A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, of course, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we're going to be joined by our first ever guest from Plaid Cymru. Mabon Abgwinfor's grandfather was the party's first ever MP in the 1960s. We're going to hear about how he ended up following in his grandfather's footsteps, but into the Welsh Senate. We'll also discuss grappling with how different Christians disagree on many political issues, and also the impact of being in politics on your mental health and how being a Christian can seriously help with that. But before that, on Saturday, Australia headed to the polls for the 2022 federal election. Voters were electing the country's prime minister and government for the next three years. The incumbent Liberal National Coalition government, an alliance of parties politically similar to the UK Conservative Party, was fighting to win a fourth consecutive term of office. They were led by Prime Minister Scott Morrison, but they were challenged and defeated by the centre-left Australian Labour Party, led by Anthony Albanese. Albanese is only the fourth Labour leader since World War II to oust a Liberal Prime Minister in Australia. Commentators suggest that Albanese's win owed more to Morrison's unpopularity than to any particular bold vision of his own. Morrison is a Christian, a Pentecostal, but his party has been accused of being Trumpian, anti-immigration, dismissive of the realities of climate change and guilty of seeking to cover up a case of sexual abuse within his party. The BBC suggested that Morrison had been Australia's first post-truth prime minister. Now, I don't know enough to judge whether this is a fair accusation, but one thing Christian politicians surely don't want to be labelled as is untruthful. Australia uses a system of proportional representation, the single transferable vote for its federal elections. Nevertheless, the country has traditionally had a two-party system, Labour and then the Conservative Liberal National Coalition. However, on Saturday, there was a historic move of voters away from those major parties. Both of them slumped to a record low first preference vote. Labour won because they lost fewer votes than Scott Morrison's party lost, and also because they attracted more second preference votes from the other smaller parties. The big winners have been a collection of candidates who've been dubbed the Teal Independents, a collection of extraordinarily successful and impressive women on the whole, who won in previously safe Liberal seats, populated by affluent but moderate-minded voters. These candidates channeled the public anger, which perceived that Scott Morrison's government ignored and belittled the concerns and interests of women, and their, their rosettes were coloured teal. The loss of a Christian prime minister will be greeted with dismay by some Christians, and with relief or even satisfaction by other Christians who were concerned about the growth of a post-truth, brash and unkind politics on the Australian right. Whether or not you count yourself in either of those groups, it is a reminder that political landscapes can change. No political victory is forever. So how should Christians approach this kind of change in the political landscape? In Romans 13, Paul is clear that we should be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Peter echoes this message in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. 
Now, Peter clearly writes in the context of a pagan, unbelieving society, which means that we can't pick and choose which authorities we submit to, depending on our perception of their faithfulness to the gospel. I don't think this means that Christians should just hunker down, putting up with the regime and its consequences, possibly even persecution, until the next opportunity to change it comes along. We should involve ourselves in our democracy by paying attention to what politicians do in our name, praying about politics, voting, even taking action to meet the needs of others and to campaign for things to be different, to be better. No matter what adversity comes our way, God calls us to live under the authority of government by putting our faith, hope and trust in Jesus. We will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, 1 Peter, not by picking a fight, but by being distinctly different to those around us. After an election, you may feel triumphant or you may feel despondent, but don't ever forget the words of Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's be very clear that ultimately, Jesus' death conquered all authorities. Scott Morrison's victory in 2019 was not an eternal victory. Neither is Anthony Albanese's in 2022. Jesus' victory is the ultimate victory, is the eternal victory. We need to keep eternity in view. Democracy is not a perfect system. Let's not idealise it or set it up as an idol, which can be tempting when we look at non-democratic governments around the world. However, God clearly expects us to... A society. mucky business with Tim Farron. ...ordered, not chaotic and anarchic, so we should seek a system that provides security and justice, and which is concerned for the welfare of the governed, the common good. Jesus also has challenging words for those who seek to lead. In Mark 9, we read that in God's kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Anyone who would lead must then see themselves as a servant. Christianity radically changes the way that voters who are believers will react to election results. It must radically change the way that the defeated deal with defeat, while insisting that the victorious govern in a shockingly countercultural way, with humility, serving others and not lording it over them. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, uh, Mabon Abguinvor is the member of the Welsh Senate for Dwyver Merionet, and he has been since May 21. He's a member of Plaid Cymru. He's a Christian, and it's an absolute blessing to have you with us, Mabon. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. A massive pleasure. So let's start what we often do with our guests and, and talk about faith. Uh, you were brought up in a, a Christian family, but how did you come to faith yourself? As you say, I was brought up uh, on a, in a Christian household. My, my father was a, a min, or is a minister, a non-conformist, independent minister. Um, and my mother is a, a Christian as well. Um, I spent part of my youth in, in Guyana. Um, we were missionaries uh, in Guyana in South America for a period. So Christianity was, was really important um, to me as, as a youngster in the household, having been brought up in it. But it was so overwhelming, I suppose. It was all around that I didn't realise um, fully what it meant to me. Um, not until I was uh, in my late teens. And when I was about 18, I went uh, on a Christian trip um, mm. to Lindisfarne. Uh, and there was a group of people there from across the world. 
Um, and it, we were there for a week, uh, having prayer meetings, but doing some uh, tangible things as well um, on the land. And it's there that I probably had an awakening mm. uh, and, and the realisation that actually I, I was a Christian uh, and that Jesus was my saviour uh, um, and that uh, I, I had to train, do my best to follow uh, God's teachings. And so you went off to university soon after that. Was that the summer between um, school and university? It was, uh, but then I took a year out before going to university. Mm. Uh, went to work a little bit. Um, and then I went to Bangor University, uh, yeah, uh, and studied history there. And so it was whilst you were at university that politics crept into your life. Of course, you also had family background there as well, though. Tell us about that. Indeed, yes. Um, again, uh, politics, I, my family are steeped in, in politics. My grandfather um, was Gwynvor Evans. He was the first elected member of parliament for Plaid Cymru, uh, elected in a by-election in 1966. Um, and I'd been a, a party member for years. Um, and so, yes, politics was always an interest to me. But then when I went to university, um, I, I saw that my fellow students weren't being properly represented, that mm. some of them uh, weren't getting, for instance, they, they applied for some courses and they didn't get a place in that course and, and there was no recourse for them, I, I mm. felt. I felt, uh, I felt that someone had to stand up for them. Uh, and then I took an interest in the student union uh, and thought that someone had to be a voice for... Uh, my fellow students, uh, and that's what I spent most of my student years was in the student union, uh, eventually becoming a president of the student union. I've I, I drawn lots of parallels with my own experience there, uh, but of course I need to say, as I told you when we spoke earlier, um, I, I studied your grandfather for A-level, um, so it's a big, a big, big deal. Is those the first nationalist breakthrough? Um, uh, Scotland followed a year later in, in Ham with Hamilton, and a really important shift in the way that uh, people cast their vote. But um, let, let's just think a little bit about your motivations here. So it's interesting that you were very much drawn into active service to stand for the student unit at Bangor because you wanted to serve um, your fellow students, but also because of a sense of in, injustice. Is that what's driven you since then to the point that you now become a member of the Senate? Yeah, absolutely that. Um, I, I, a lot of that is down to my upbringing. You know, my, my, my parents are also peace activists. Um, and I remember in my childhood, um, one of my parents would leave occasionally and go on, on these um, peace campaigns. My, my mother primarily, um, she was uh, and still is a very active peace campaigner. Um, mm. uh, she, she went um, down to Brody um, and, and she, she went on, on numerous marches mm. and, and activities. And, and that sort of instilled in me the, the, the sense that, you know, we have a duty to stand up for others, people mm. who we don't know, um, to do something for, for uh, our brothers and sisters, wherever they are, if they are uh, suffering any kind of oppression or if they are suffering any kind of injustice, then someone has to stand up for them. Um, that was instilled in me from a very young age. Uh, and that's what I found when I became a student union representative was that I could become a voice mm. for somebody else. 
Um, so having left the university then, um, you know, looking for work and uh, trying to find my way in the world, um, sadly, uh, the Afghan... A mucky business um, with Tim Farron. Uh, following 9-11 um, and then the Iraq war. Um, and both those wars uh, struck a chord in me in that I thought there's something really wrong here. You know, we, we can't resolve um, uh, differences by killing each other. Mm. Um, and so I felt right, okay, well, I needed to use what uh, I had, whatever that was, my voice, my, my uh, uh, ability to write letters to newspapers, whatever it was, to stand up for for those innocent people mm. uh, that were being killed and for those young men and women who were being sent to kill. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Mabon Abguimvor, who's a member of the Welsh Senate for Dwyfor Merioneth. Um, Mabon, you became a member of the Senate last May. Um, how was that? Did that has that changed your life? Yes. Um, it, it was really odd because the campaign was run during a pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've been campaigning on, on elections since 1983. I was four years old. Um, and there are pictures of me holding my grandfather's hand in, in Carmarthen. And so I, I, I have vivid uh, memories of, of campaigning and, and a lot of people going out and delivering leaflets and knocking doors and crowds gathering on street corners and, and, and all such things. And none of that, <laughs> you know, was, was no. there uh, during my campaign last year. So it was really, really odd. Um, but nevertheless, thankfully, um, I uh, and my party were victorious. Uh, and, and that was nice for a period, but um, it was it was difficult as well because campaigning for somebody else and campaigning for an idea is one thing, but campaigning for yourself and being that face of those ideas is, is something else altogether. And and I, I struggled with my mental health mm. um, during the last couple of months of the campaigning and, and probably for the first six months of my elected um, office period. Struggled pretty bad because of probably the pressure uh, of expectations, mm. um, because um, because of my family connections, mm. because also of my Christianity, of my faith, knowing, because I've been so involved in, in politics, I know that you have to compromise in, in, in politics. Mm. And, and compromising isn't easy, especially mm. compromising your faith. Um, I, I'm a man, I, I like to believe that I'm a man of principles and I have some very strong principles and knowing that at, on, on occasions I might have to compromise those principles was really weighing heavily on my mind. Um, how do I reconcile my, my faith, my upbringing, my principles with some of the things that I might have to do uh, in mm. my, my post? That was difficult. Um, I'm not sure whether I have reconciled it, but I've come to terms with it, I think, now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a case of learning by, day by day, isn't it? How did you find um, your faith helped you during those difficult first months in the job? Uh, my faith is, is really important to me on a personal level. Um, and I, I lean on my uh, Christianity often, especially when times are difficult. Um, I, I, I turn to the Bible 
not, not in that superstitious way where someone opens the Bible and thinks, oh, look, there, there's something that's important to me today and it says something to me. Not in that sense, but in the sense that it, it gives you reading it um, and considering what, what, what it says gives you some time to think mm. uh, and to open your mind and to consider other things that might not necessarily be uh, immediately um, forthcoming in your mind when you've got the hustle and bustle of, of life going on and, and decision making. So it, it is important and, and, and prayer is important to me uh, to give me mm. some guidance, again, to give me some time for meditation and, and for thought. Mm. Um, and, and what I inevitably find is, is once I take that step back and, and lean on my faith and turn to God, um, I start to think of others. Yeah. Uh, instead of thinking of of myself and, and being self-centered and in the moment, yeah, it takes me out of the moment and, and gives you that time to think of others and the impact of of my actions and our actions on others. And, mm. and I think that's important. You talked about um, being concerned about the compromises you'd need to make. What counts in your mind as an acceptable compromise as a Christian in politics, and what's an unacceptable one? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's a right answer to that. Um, Do you think in, I guess, there's, 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 two, there's, the, there's where you kind of have to give up a little bit of your faith, where you have to compromise your theology on the one hand, which we might think is beyond the, the pale. Um, and then there's where you have to compromise with somebody politically and you have to accept that the laws are going to say something you're not entirely content with um um or or indeed you know a, a policy might be something which is not your first choice and it might only be your third or or fourth is that the kind of territory we're talking about yes yes probably uh, and whenever you have to come to a decision you have to justify it to yourself mm. um and have to accept that in in a democratic uh country like the one we live, the ones we live in, that that we are elected by members of the public who, mm. who we have to represent, whatever their background, mm. whatever their beliefs, whatever their political beliefs, and so we have to try and balance all of those things and say, right, okay, well, in the circumstances, this is the the best decision I can make. Um, yeah. you know and trying to blend in that 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 mm-hmm. element of faith and that element of representing um but but at the, at the end of the day you can only do what, what what's best in in, in that that moment mm. based on the information that you have to hand mm. um, i wonder whether actually one of the blessings about being a christian in politics is that perhaps unlike others we know we're not here to make things perfect because that's not yeah. in our capabilities and therefore it's perhaps easier for us to recognize a, you know, beauty and define fulfilment in making things a bit better. <laughs> um, yes, and, and you've also got that long game that you you are mm. going and aiming towards. Mm. Knowing that we're, we're not going to solve the ills of the world today, you know, tomorrow. Mm. Step by step, piece by piece. Um, you know, we might lose a few battles, but we keep on going nevertheless because um, the bigger picture is is far more important. Mm. Now, before we finish, I want to talk to you a little bit about something you just alluded to earlier, and that's the importance and the power of, of prayer. One of the things that I'm struck by and really encouraged by is to hear that 
cross-party in the Senate, um, you pray together um, as a group um, most weeks before the session on a Tuesday. How, how does that how does that work? And what's it like being alongside Christians who you have you share your faith with, brothers and sisters in Christ, but who think very different things to you politically? Yes, I, I can. I'm still struggling to reconcile some of that. <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, to be fair, uh, Darren Miller uh, is a member of the Synod. I think you've had him on your show before. Yep. He represents Cloyd West. Um, he's organised these these uh, prayer meetings, um, and he invites uh, uh, people of faith to come and and give a, a brief message and, and lead in, us in prayer. And there's probably between half a dozen and, and maybe eight or nine of us uh, attending those prayer meetings. Um, uh, and it's every Tuesday before uh, we we go into plenary. And I haven't been able to attend most of them, but I, I try to attend when I can because, you know, there are conflicting meetings with constituents or campaign groups and what have you. But it always is nice to be able to attend because, as, as we discussed earlier, it gives you that sort of time out uh, from the hustle and bustle um, or, or, of the work of the day to consider things to meditate a little bit and to give prior, prioritize things in your mind uh, and think of others. And now what I always struggle with is that uh, a lot of the other members are the polar opposite to me politically. Uh, and, and, and I honestly, I'm, and I'm struggling sometimes to think, well, how, how can they reconcile their Christian faith with some of the things that they say and some of the things that they believe. Mm. And, and I am honestly struggling with that. But then I, I always tell myself, well, it's not up to me to doubt their motivations. It's not up to me to doubt their faith. I, I have to accept that their faith is genuine to them. Mm. Um, and I have to accept that um, that both of us, you know, both groups of people want to see ultimately the same thing, but that we are trying to achieve it in different ways, maybe. Mm. Again, I'm struggling to, to understand how we can uh, um, succeed in uh, creating heaven on earth here mm. by some of the means some of the, my political opponents propose, but, you know, by, by working together, uh, maybe by uh, sharing uh, a prayer, uh, by listening to each other, we might be able to find uh, a way forward that's, um, mm. that, that, you know, some common ground that we can work together. Well, two final observations for me. First of all, if we stop struggling, then you know, that's when there really is a problem. And, and secondly, the very, the very fact that you, you do struggle and you seek to spend time with the Christians who think very different things to you is a great witness. It's something that society as a whole will be surprised to see and is surprised to see and impressed to see, I think, when Christians who've come to quite different political and ideological conclusions can still recognise that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And to, to, uh, to quote um, Andy Flanagan, that it turns out that our kingdom is more important than our tribe. Mabom, what a blessing to talk to you. Um, thanks ever so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much, Tim. Nice talking to you. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. 
but I'd really love to hear from you and attempt to answer whatever you ask me. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Jenny in Southampton has been in touch and she asks this. In light of public controversies regarding politicians, how would you help MPs who fall by the wayside? Well, Jenny, I wonder what we mean by that. If we're talking about the most extreme of offences, those which involve somebody who's committed uh, a, a physical offence, sexual abuse or harassment, for example, we need to remember two things. First of all, forgiveness is available to everybody uh, freely through Christ's death on the cross, but also victims matter and there are there are consequences even to forgiven sin. One thing that I'm concerned about is that we see many of the scandals that have been revealed within different branches of the church have perhaps come about because of a wrong-headed idea that somehow, well, a person's uh, confessed and therefore they're forgiven and we just need to move on. And that leads to cover-up, that leads to victims not getting justice, it sometimes leads to repeat offences. And that's something that's clearly unacceptable and a wrong interpretation. Nevertheless, it's very clear in the Bible that uh, forgiveness is available to everyone. There is no forgivable sin or unforgivable sin, I should say, except that which involves declining the offer of Jesus to save you. And so that means we've got to do two things. First of all, remember that all sins have consequences, including those that have been forgiven. You know, you may have cheated on your spouse. You may be forgiven by God. You may repent sincerely, but it could well mean that your marriage is broken and unfixable. You could be like Zacchaeus, for example, in the New Testament, who receives a forgiveness and a welcome, but he compensates and he gives back. He undoes, shall we say, some of the, uh, or all or more of the gain that he's gained by being uh, unfaithful and sinful. So we need to look after victims. We need to promote forgiveness as being freely available to all, but we must not lie to ourselves or anyone else that there are not consequences even to forgiven sins. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. As we come to the end of our time together for this show, let's join in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mabon Abguin Form. We thank you for all those involved in politics who serve uh, and those who trust in you. Uh, we pray for all politicians um, that they might be uh, aware of their mental health and that you would uphold them and protect them and give them resilience as they seek to serve the communities that have put them in parliament and senate and in other assemblies and councils we pray that you'd uh, increasingly lead those uh, christians who are involved in politics to rest in you to trust in you and to do things which are important for their well-being as they seek to serve uh, their communities we lived up to you, um, I guess, the greatest of our servants in public life in this country, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, as she uh, looks forward to the celebrations of the Platinum Jubilee. We thank you for 70 years of her on the throne. We thank you for a faithful Christian witness. We pray that will have a lasting impact, not just, of course, in, uh, on her, but also on the country that she has governed on the family of which she is uh, the head of the government of which she is the head uh, that her christian example would reach far and wide and would change hearts and minds in jesus name we pray these things amen well thanks so much for joining us for this week's show 
Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thanks ever so much for joining us.